0: Hire someone who's worked in the industry, like hire a VA who's worked in the industry, and start handing off small tasks because this can help you get your workflow locked down so you can focus exclusively on rainmaking.
1: Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt Rouse and Jeremy Marcotte. Welcome to Digital Marketing
2: Masters. I'm your host,
1: Jeremy Marcotte, and I'm here with Matt
2: Rouse. Say hi, Matt. Hello and happy 2020 because hey, it's, it's not
3: it 2020 is. yet now, but it's going to be when you're listening to this. The year of vision. Your All vision. right.
2: So today we have a very special guest with us. We have Ali Gary from the Savvy Admin. Hi, Ali. How are you?
0: Hey, I'm good. How are you guys?
2: Uh, I'm great. How are you, Matt? I'm super, super
3: excited about
2: 2020,
3: the year of vision.
2: <laughs> yeah. Start wearing your glasses. You'll be able to see more. All right. So, Ali, Savvy Admin tell us a little bit about it. How did you, why admin? Why did you go admin? And then how did you get where you are now helping real estate agents and stuff like that?
0: Yeah. So I've actually, I'm 25. I've been working since I was 15. I've been working in offices since, since that time in my life. So I spent 10 years working in offices and I spent so much time in different positions. So from working as a receptionist to working as an operations manager to being an executive assistant, marketing manager, you name it. Like I've, I've probably done it. And a lot of those teams were really unique teams, mostly in the real estate industry. And I say they're unique teams just because each real estate team does things a little bit differently. They have, you know, different skills that they need. So I did that. And then, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful that my skills are really transferable because of that. And, it just kind of seemed like a logical move. So I was, you know, in 2017, I moved away from Toronto, which is where I spent a lot of my time working in those positions. I moved to Hamilton. Uh, My partner lived here. And then for two years, I worked at a job that I couldn't really grow in. It didn't really challenge me. And so I had always had a freelance business on the side. And it seemed like the next logical step for me was to take my business full time and, so that's what I did this year of in May of 2019.
2: Nice. So you you mentioned in there the real estate, because you said that every every real estate office does things differently. Everybody, you know, has their own systems and the way they do things. So why would they outsource a VA versus just hiring somebody?
0: You know what? That's a great question. And I work since I work with so many realtors, I get asked that question all the time. And so what I typically say is I've worked with a lot of realtors and, you know, when you're in the position that I'm in, it's kind of funny to see the similarities, like in, in the core personality traits that a lot of realtors actually have and that they share. So most realtors don't like dealing with paperwork. They don't want to do the marketing. They don't want to schedule viewings. Basically anything that doesn't involve meeting with a client and talking real estate is typically something that gets put on the back burner, or at least that's what been my experience, you know, not to generalize all realtors, but that's my experience. So, you know, a lot of the time that means paperwork is overdue or it's missing, which can cause a big issue, especially if the lawyers didn't get the paperwork or the mortgage broker didn't get the paperwork or the deal department didn't get the paperwork. That can go ahead and delay a commission check. And so, you know, when a real estate team or a realtor or a real estate brokerage starts to work with a VA, they come up with an action plan of what's going to happen first. So for example, let's say they decide that they need to work on a new listing workflow. So that's everything that happens from the minute a listing contract is signed to when the house closes and when those sellers move out of that house.
3: So now, they just, just before you go on with it, so this is not necessarily just applicable to realtors though, right? And And brokerages. I mean, every business has a process that they need to follow to you know, provide whatever service it is that they have and their follow up and all those kinds of things. So, I mean, if you're not a realtor, I mean, you don't want to just turn it off now and switch to the next episode, right? Because there, it is actually going to be, any business can follow these kinds of steps. So we'll get into that more at the end, but I just wanted to point that out because we keep talking about realtors and I want, you know, if you're not a realtor, it's still valuable.
0: Yeah, I agree entirely. It's, um, you know, and a lot of the tools I use when working with my real estate clients are so easily transferable into working with other service-based businesses and even product-based businesses because everyone needs those systems, like you mentioned. And, you know, having that organization really allows you to be more efficient and to make more money, which I guess kind of ties into the, to the question is that, you know, once you start working with that, once you start working with the VA, when you delegate, when you outsource, and when you document things, you're able to recover your time. Um, and since you've developed that repeatable process and it means someone else can come in and they can handle that easily. And then you get that time back for the rest of your career. So, I mean, that's just, that's the one benefit to me. And in my opinion, you know, it's one of the most important ones that being said, like in general, I'd say that using a VA, it just, it helps you win back your time. So you can focus on high impact work that brings in revenue.
2: Ooh, I like that. That's really good. So what type of clients do you typically work with then?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I kind of started out working with everyone. And I guess I kind of want to preface this by saying there's a lot of talk in my industry, at least of being a VA, about niching down. And, you know, I've done that, but I find niching down too far is it's pretty restrictive. So while, you know, I mostly work with realtors, real estate teams, real estate investors, but I also love working with a ton of different clients you know, from cafes to restaurants, skincare and beauty companies, lawyers, law firms. I find having a mix of service-based and product-based businesses keeps me on my toes a little bit. And it keeps my skills sharp because each business is different. And I get to use a bunch of different skills depending on which client I'm working with.
2: That makes sense. With that, too, you're using a bunch of different skills and you're, you're multitasking like crazy, right? Because you have multiple clients that you're taking care of different things for them, I'm assuming, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I do multitasking. Yes. I find when I, at least when I'm actually working multitasking, I find is a little bit inefficient. So I prioritize and I pick one thing. I complete that until the end. And then I move on to the next thing because from what I found, you know, like I use a time tracker, I track my time. I find I'm more efficient and I'm actually kind of saving clients money by doing it that way.
2: Oh, wow. That makes sense. Uh, so let's just make your task list, knock it out and you know, move on.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right.
2: Cool. So what is the biggest challenge that you face as an entrepreneur? Cause you branched out this year, you're doing it all on your own. Now there has to be challenges. What is the biggest one that you're facing?
0: Oh, there are challenges. <laughs> you know, honestly, the biggest challenge for me is to try to not be a workaholic. I guess I, I would call myself a workaholic, but the challenge there is to not let it interfere with my relationship, my time for self-care time for relaxing and actually going out and living my life, not being, you know, not sitting behind a desk all day. And I found that I, was I the might
3: biggest. have that problem
2: too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know, I found that was the biggest struggle for me is my work-life balance. So when I first took my business full time this year, it was a huge struggle to not be in my home office from five o'clock in the morning until midnight, because I could totally do it. I could, I could do it every day. But, you know, I learned quickly that it's just the formula for burnout. And I had no time to relax. I was barely seeing my partner, even though he's home a lot of the time. My self-care and in turn, like my mental health was struggling. So
2: you find like it never feels like you can get away from work. Right? Oh,
0: yeah. I would, That's like my second biggest struggle, which kind of ties into, you know, it's it's being able to turn off my work brain even when I'm not working. So. You know, I guess what I did to combat that was I sat down with my partner, Steph, and we talked about priorities. So for me, while my business is definitely a priority, my home life and my family is always number one. So we we picked nights that would be absolutely no work for either of us. He's also an entrepreneur, so it makes it hard. (laughs) You know, just time for us to watch a movie, have dinner, hang out, do whatever. But I actually had to put it in my calendar so I didn't schedule work on top of it. And once we had sorted that out, the issue of time for the two of us, I was able to schedule in nights for just me to do whatever I wanted, you know, whether it's studying for class, watching TV, or I mean, my favorite guilty pleasure is eating snacks, watching RuPaul's Drag Race and playing The Sims all at once.
3: (laughs) Wow. Which version of The Sims do you play?
0: Oh, The Sims 4. But I've been playing since like original Sims.
3: (laughs) Right. I used to play that years ago. It was like after I would get off work doing tech support. Cause I used to do that in the nineties and I would go home and I'd just be like, I'm going to make people who are nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: too funny. That's great. Oh yeah. <laughs> um,
3: yeah. If, if you want to learn about humanity, do tech support for a while.
0: Oh, no thanks.
3: <laughs> I had tech support but, or work retail.
2: People are out there. Well, yeah, retail, I'm that now.
3: Too.
0: Oh yeah. I, I worked retail for a little while. I would never go back to that.
3: I used to work at like a joke shop, you know, where you buy like all those like Stupid things like itching powder and fart spray and oh, so you worked at like a Spencer's? Yeah, it was similar. It was it was a Canadian version, basically. <laughs> I don't think they're around anymore. I actually worked there and and in the same mall. I had two jobs. I worked there and I worked in the arcade.
0: Oh, that that's how old funny. I am.
3: We had the original Mortal Kombat machine. I used to play that after arcade closed all the time. Wow, I know. <laughs> You used to have a thing called burner quarters and you would have markers on them. If somebody came and told you like a game, eighth their quarter or something, you'd give them one of the ones with the marker on it. And then we would use those to put in the machines while on to play by yourself, which they didn't mind if you did it like once in a while, but we kind of did got overboard and <laughs> then we all got fired.
2: Well, <laughs> you know, so Ali you said something a little bit ago about niching down and how you can niche down too far. Right. And with that, Do you take on all work that comes along, or do you have a process to say, you know what, we would be a great fit? Yeah, maybe we're not a great fit. You should look elsewhere.
0: Yeah. So I used to take on everything that came along. So when I first actually started freelancing part time while I was still working full time in an office, you know, all I wanted to do was make extra money and grow my client base so that I could actually leave my full time job. So I took on all kinds of clients, you know, anyone with a heartbeat and a wallet. I was like, yeah, sure. Be my client. Let's let's hang out. Let's do this thing.
3: Yeah. But that's how most businesses start is you got to yeah. take everything when you're at the beginning, because, well, not only that, how are you going to know who's your perfect client when you haven't had any clients yet?
0: That's a, so that's a great point. That's true. You and of got to
3: take them all at the start anyway, because you don't know what's, you know, you don't know who's the people that you don't want to work with yet.
0: Yeah, that's true. And I think that's actually what helped me figure out who I do want to work with and kind of the ideal profile of someone that would be an ideal client for me.
2: So you did that and then you had to make a decision, uh, which is a, what a lot of entrepreneurs have to do. Is it time to quit my real job? Air quotes. I did a math. Is it time to quit my real job and do my own thing? So how did you know that you were ready to do that? How did you know that you were ready to scale and jump out on your own?
0: Yeah, that's, um, you know what? It's a hard question because I don't think I was ever really a hundred percent sure that I was ready to scale. It just, it kind of was an idea in my head and then it felt right. And so I did it. (laughs) So you followed your gut. I did. And I do that a lot and it typically tends to work out for me, but you know, while I say that, I guess I didn't really jump into it. I had been tracking, you know, where my time was going. Uh, I use an app called time camp and a lot of my time was going towards, you know, just simply keeping the business running and my billable time was pretty low. So You know, I knew I could take on more clients and more client work, but I also knew that I'd have to give something up to make that happen. So I started looking around for a VA of my own. And in October, actually of this year, I ended up hiring Ava, who is my administration and client care manager. She's my right hand. She handles, you know, she helps me with my digital marketing. She helps me outsource editorial content to my copywriter basically everything else like my bookkeeping invoicing clients everything i do not know what i would do without her <laughs> and you know i think the feeling of knowing that i was ready was that i was at complete capacity i literally could not handle another task or another client because i was so busy and once i hired i freed up you know maybe 15 to 20 hours of my week and i was able to start bringing in more clients which brought in more revenue which meant i had more to work with so i can continue to scale And that's the kind of a conversation I actually have with a lot of my clients as well is, you know, I've been through it. So I get where they're coming from. And I tell them, you know, you have to, you're not scaling because you have all this extra money in the world. You can hire all these team members. You're scaling because you're almost stagnant. You need to take something off your plate so you can be pushed to generate more revenue.
3: Right. And usually what's happening is you're actually taking a hit at the start when you hire someone. Yeah,
0: for sure. So it's You have to say...
3: Can I live even less expensively and kind of cut my burn rate, you know the, the costs and expenses that our business has so that we can afford to hire someone, and how fast can we train that person to generate additional revenue or save us time to go create the revenue we need to then become more profitable than we were before?
0: yeah, that's that's exactly right, and that's um you know that's kind of the position I was in is. I had to take an initial hit to start paying another person to help me manage my business while I was trying to fill those 15 to 20 hours with, with, with billable work. But in the long run, you know, it didn't take long for me to get to that point. It didn't take a long time for me to recoup the cost. It was maybe a month, month and a half, and that's it. And it's been a game changer. It's, it's definitely, it's revolutionized my business, I would say.
2: So I think that's part of the thing, too, right, is you made sure to prioritize your time after you hired your assistant to go out and fill that billable time. There are a lot of business owners that don't do that. They step back and like, oh, I've hired somebody now I can hover and micromanage and and I don't have to do this. So they're doing it. And then they yeah, you don't out want that to hire someone.
3: To, you just spend the time that they save you managing them doing the thing that you were doing. I mean, that's a fucking waste of time, right?
0: Yeah, I I agree entirely. It's if they're going to take tasks off.
3: Yeah, if they're going to take tasks off your plate, you need to go and do more valuable tasks, right? That's exactly
0: right.
3: I wrote a book called Flattening the Hamster Wheel. And oh, there's a timer on the lights in the room I'm in. It just went dark. (laughs) 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 Ah, Anyway, yeah. So I, I wrote Flattening the Hamster Wheel about people who get stuck in their business. And one of the biggest things is people stepping over a dollar bill to pick up pennies, right? If you hire someone to do the $10 an hour tasks or $20 an hour tasks that you're currently doing, then that should be freeing you up to do $100 an hour tasks, not freeing you up so you could do more $10 an hour tasks, right? I agree 100%. Yeah. and, And an assistant, I mean, the first... Person that our company ever hired before Jeremy even worked for us, we used to have somebody working for us that was basically we hired them as my assistant and to help me do networking and customer contact and follow up and and all these other things that are you know they're very important tasks. But I was better at implementing and selling, so I hired somebody to fill in the other gaps that I had. You know that freed me up to get us more clients, to do more work, that paid more money and scale. Our clients' businesses, so that they can pay us more money, and you know, kind of went from there. And now there's, I don't know, there's seven or eight of us, I guess.
2: Something like that.
3: Yeah, it kind of depends, depends on who
2: we're working with that week.
3: Depends. <laughs> depends how you count contractors and stuff, but.
2: But yeah, so you you did that. You took and you hired somebody to fill the let's call them mundane tasks, right? Mm-hmm. To free yourself up to do the more lucrative things, and you're not burying yourself in let's say the books. Ali. I think you said it yourself, you hire out bookkeepers and stuff like that too. Or did I hear something wrong?
0: Yeah, no, I um, I actually use my assistant to help me with my bookkeeping. And I, I have an accountant who helps me with my taxes at the end of the year. But you know, between that, she's the one who helps me. And I actually because of that, can offer that service to my clients. If they're, you know, if they mention in passing, we need a bookkeeper or can you can you do some of our bookkeeping? That's not an ideal task for me. I, I kind of actually, I do like it. I, I, I like mundane tasks because I can put a podcast on and chill out and do them, but it's not a good use of my time. So I can say, you know what? I actually can't handle that, but my team member is, you know, she's very skilled. She can use QuickBooks, Wave, she could use anything and she'd be happy to do that for you. And a lot of my, a lot of times my clients are like, Oh, that's great. Like it's all in the same team. They don't have to worry about going out to find someone else.
3: I think, I think one that's of the great. first, first things that people should be outsourcing is bookkeeping. And once you have, you know, a couple employees, the next thing you should outsource is payroll. You have no business doing those things. Get somebody else who could do it. I mean, unless bookkeeping is your business, right? But yeah, outsource those tasks, get them out of your hands, and because you want somebody else reconciling the books, making sure there's no theft, you know, that kind of stuff. And honestly, some people are just not good at keeping track of their own money, right? So if you want to get that profit and loss statement and you don't know how to do your bookkeeping properly, you could be telling yourself you're making money when you're losing money, or you could be forgetting to account for something, or you should be – maybe you're putting things in the wrong chart of accounts that, you know, is, is – could be a write-off that's not or it is a write-off and or you think it's a write-off and the tax man doesn't right so there's all kinds of problems that can come up
0: yeah for we sure. had a
3: nightmare where we had a bookkeeper who was also doing our payroll and turns out that they were not doing it correctly on the payroll side so it cost us i don't even know how much probably close to ten thousand dollars to get it all fixed so get a payroll company get a bookkeeper make sure that you have references, you know, for those people that are important in your business, get a CPA to do your taxes at the end of the year, right? Once you get their, your business rolling, I mean, if you're just starting out, maybe you need to, you know, wait a little bit on those things, but yeah, outsource that stuff, dude. Cause the famous quote, I don't remember who said it is they said most business owners don't have time to make money. And it's true (laughs) yeah. because you're spending all your time doing the day-to-day tasks that need to get done. And that stops you from doing the things that are going to grow your business.
1: And now a quick break. Digital Marketing Masters will be right back. Are you ready to stop grinding and start making an impact? Are you tired of working long hours and not growing your business? Get Matt's new book, Flattening the Hamster Wheel on Amazon now. Just go to hook2.us slash hamster. That's H-O-O-K-T-O dot U-S forward slash H-A-M-S-T-E-R.
2: Well, and that goes into a billable hours and how much are you actually billing for your billable hours? Because you work on the job. Alec, correct me if I'm wrong here. You work on the task that you can bill the client. And then after you've done that, you've got to make sure that everything's good. You put in your time. So there, let's say there's 15 minutes for every hour of work that you do. That is unbillable. So, are you billing the right amount for your services to be able to cover your costs?
0: Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, that's kind of why, especially as a VA, pricing is kind of tricky because you want to make sure you are accounting for those things. You know, you're accounting for maybe they text you at nine o'clock at night. Like, you need to be able to build that into your rate as well. So, you're accounting for these maybe 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there of your time, but it starts to add up over, over, you know, the course of a month or two. So building that into your fees is, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And, you know, you have to verify all the work. Of course, I'm not going to bill my client for making sure everything is great just because that's, that's my job. That's on me. So when I do a final review before I send off any deliverables, you know, I don't bill the client for that, but it's built into my rate as is.
2: Oh, okay. That makes sense. So you're a VA virtual assistant, right? Do you just work in the area that you're at or can you work internationally?
0: Oh, I work all over the place. It's great. So I work with, I actually work with a lot of businesses in the States and I work with business locally as well. So that's kind of the benefit of being a VA and really having a huge flexible schedule is I get to work with people in the States. I get to work with people, you know, overseas as well. I can work with people in my own city. I have them in, you know, cities, maybe 20, 30 minutes from me, because it really depends. Some people like to be entirely virtual. And I have clients here who are like, oh, hey, why don't we meet up once a week and touch base? So it's it's kind of, you know, the benefit of being able to have your own business and do what you want is if I wanted to work entirely virtual, I could. But if someone's like, hey, I have a conference in another city Will you be able to help me the 7th, 8th, and ninth of the month? I can, depending on my schedule, I can say, yeah, for sure I can come help you out.
2: And, you know, if you have clients in other countries and stuff, then when you travel to go see your clients, that's obviously a business write-off, right?
0: Yes, that too. (laughs) Perfect. Yeah, it's great.
2: Um, So you've kind of niched down and you help a lot of real estate teams. How can a real estate team or a real estate investor or whatever you want to call them, how can they benefit from your services?
0: So... It kind of varies depending on their needs, but, you know, it kind of goes back to what I was saying about freeing up time. So when they, when they can delegate and outsource and all those things, and they can free up time, then they have the ability to go out and actually do the rainmaking, right? So they can go and do those things and they actually have time. They don't have to start thinking about, oh, I have this, this, and this to do. They can just focus on revenue generating and client work and business development while still knowing that the other essential things are happening in the background, because those things are important for revenue generating as well, right?
2: So would you say that focuses more on the social media aspect and stuff like that, or processing um, paperwork?
0: It's kind of both, actually. I mean, at least with realtors, I find they're not great with paperwork. I mean, nobody's really great with paperwork unless it's your thing like me. (laughs) I love paperwork. It's so fun, but not a lot of people feel that way. And I don't feel
3: that way at all. (laughs) I will avoid paperwork at like pretty much any cost.
0: Yeah. I love it. And you know, not, and that's, it's okay that people don't like paperwork because people like me are around to handle it. But yeah, it's a lot of the time it's paperwork. It's doing the marketing because that, you know, as, as easy as it is, and I kind of say easy in you know, a casual way, it's not easy, but um, as easy as it is, it takes a lot of time. And that's, that's time people can spend doing other things. They can be out meeting new clients. They can be prospecting. They can be, you know, following up with clients or, or doing all these things that actually bring money into the business so they can expand.
3: So I have a question about working with real estate agents. And we do have a lot of real estate agents who listen and, and we just interviewed Shelly Zavitz, whose podcast is actually being released New Year's Eve of 2019. And she wrote your first 365 days in real estate. Anyway, so let's say I'm a real estate agent, right? I'm getting busy. I'm doing lots of transactions. Usually the first thing that a real estate agent, kind of their question is, who should I hire? It's, should I hire a buyer's agent, a transaction coordinator, or an assistant? And so, kind of where in that order do you think is the best fit? Like, could they maybe hire you or someone from your agency to kind of bridge the gap a little bit? Like, can they hire them part-time instead of full-time, you know, and then maybe get one of those other positions later? Or how does that work?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, when it comes down to that, it's, it's. I find each team is specific. So the priority of hiring for everyone is going to be a little bit different. But, you know, a piece of advice that I typically give to realtors or teams who are, you know, kind of struggling and are maybe interested in getting an assistant or a transaction coordinator, but are a bit worried maybe about their budget or maybe about the workload they have. Typically, what I say is, is start small. You know, hire someone who's worked in the industry, like hire a VA who's worked in the industry and start handing off small tasks because this can help you get your workflow locked down so you can focus exclusively on rainmaking. And then when you start to see an uptick in transactions, uh, income, however they want to define their success, then that's when they can start exploring like the full spectrum of a VA. Because not all, at least in my in my personal business, um, I don't have a commit, you don't have to commit to X amount of hours to work with me. You can say, I maybe have two to three hours a week. Is that okay? And I'll say, sure, no problem. Maybe it's two to three hours one week. Maybe it's 10 hours another week. That's totally okay. Some VAs prefer to have, you know, maybe they want, guaranteed hours per week. Maybe they want a retainer or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I typically say, you know, if that's the case, interview more than one VA, like talk to a bunch of different people and ask those important questions. Like, am I fixed into a contract with you? Can you handle X, Y, and Z that might not fall into what a VA would do, but I have this on my plate. Can you do those things as well? So how does the,
3: how does the pricing work? Like In your company, I mean, just as an example, like, is it different prices for different types of tasks or is it all kind of one set rate or is it a range?
0: You know, I guess I'd say it's kind of different depending on the task, but mostly I have like I have my fixed hourly rate and then say, for example, if they were okay with me outsourcing the work. So say they say, oh, I have this database I need you to go through. I need you to clean it up. And I say, "Okay, no problem. I can do that. This is what my rate would be and it's if that's too much for you then you can go ahead and you can use one of my team members and i would go ahead and i would outsource that work to someone else at a lower cost to the client.
3: And what's a, what's a typical range?
0: So i'd say anywhere from maybe 25 to 45 US dollars an hour is pretty normal for a va then subcontracted work depends on you know the rate of your subcontractors and
2: But then for that you just charge a little extra to cover taxes and stuff, right? That's right. Yep. That's excellent. I, uh, so, I if I know you are, need to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> if you are uh,
3: not a real estate agent, what's a typical kind of virtual assistant tasks that you think, you know, kind of a small business owner would use for or like an entrepreneur?
0: So a lot of the tasks kind of are really similar. You know, a lot of it is comes down to marketing. A lot of people don't or don't want to or don't know how to do that can be bookkeeping it can be blog writing customer service support it can be creating and managing databases graphic design planning meetings managing a calendar transcription booking travel anything that an in-person assistant could do a va can do
2: anything (laughs)
0: <laughs> almost anything i'd say maybe maybe not go out and get you coffee but i could call i could call and order you a coffee
2: <laughs> you can totally build that out in the united
3: states if you're in any city now you can order anything at this point
0: that's I mean, true
2: you just, you just uh, and call in cities or, right or something so i went to montana for uh the holidays this year and christmas eve everything shut down everything they rolled up the sidewalks put them away the horse went and finally took a break, right? And I'm like, I'm sitting there. It's five o'clock on Christmas Eve. And my wife and I were going to take her, her parents out to dinner. And everywhere was closed. Wow. Like everywhere. It wow. was crazy.
3: That's not unusual in Canada on holidays anyway. Like Carrie and I went up to Vancouver, BC for New Year's a couple of years ago. And then on New Year's Day, we went out to go find somewhere to go eat. And like every single place in town was closed pretty much. It's just weird to me. Anyway, no, like you're in Portland, they're, they're still open at like normal. <laughs>
1: <Pretty
2: much. Yeah. laughs> but I th- uh, anyway, I, I totally sidetracked. So, Ali, if there's one thing, let's say that there's the magical one thing that you can suggest to somebody or tell them to help them get more organized or efficient. What would that one magic thing be?
0: That's a hard question because I actually have a lot of things. <laughs> so I'm. I'm going <laughs> to I'll meet you in the middle and I'll pick two of them. So my first one would be to hire a VA and the second one would be to use a project management system like Asana, like Trello, or like ClickUp. And, you know, I'm not saying this because I'm a VA, but hiring a VA to help you get organized and increase efficiency, like that's what they're good at. That's what they're there for. At the bare minimum, that's what they're there for. And when I say to use a project management tool, I say that because it's a really good spot to have everything in one place. And it helps you keep your procedures, your billable work and your admin work together. And so, you know, if any of your listeners, you know, want to see what my Asana looks like, they're more than welcome to reach out to me and I can send them a video walkthrough, happy to show them how I use my account so, for example, you know, if you implement a project management tool, whatever you choose, and then you can go ahead and hire a VA to come in and build systems and workflows for you to set that tool up in a way that works for you and your business. So my one piece of advice I'd say is if anyone's going to outsource anything this year, I would start there.
3: Yeah, we use um, Zoho. We've actually tried. I don't even know.
2: <laughs> At years. least a dozen.
3: <laughs> well, yeah, but we tried 10 more before you and start working for us. Yeah, so, i have yeah. tried, tried like 25 it. project management tools. We ended up using Zoho a while ago and we came back to it. So we use Zoho One now.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's so we cool So the whole
3: thing we use, you know, we use it for our billing and everything. The only thing we don't really use it for is we outsource our bookkeeping and our payroll we use Gusto or Gusto, however you like to call it, which works good. So if somebody wants to get a hold of you to get like to take a look at your Asana or, you know, get any other information about it, it's thesavvyadmin.ca?
0: Yep, that's right.
2: And that's Canadian for .com, for those of you that don't know. (laughs) That's right. .ca. (laughs) It is. So so it's not .com, those of you in the States or anywhere else. It's .ca. And is there another way that they would get a hold of you, Uh, email or anything like that, or just go to your website and do it from there?
0: They can go to my website or they can send me an email. My email is Allie at thesavvyadmin.ca. So spelled just like my website, an Ali is a L-L-I-E or they they can give me a call my phone number is 416-994-9453 they can call me anytime I typically answer depend no matter what time it is so
3: <laughs> and you're on the perfect the LinkedIn and the Twitter and
0: I'm yeah I'm on Alignable. I, don't, I don't use Twitter but I'm on Alignable I use LinkedIn they can message me they can message me on Instagram Facebook wherever I'll reply
3: just not Twitter that's not Allie Gary on, on Twitter is not you.
0: I do have one, but I don't use it. Oh. <laughs> they can message me there, but I just don't think I'll see it. So
3: So this is actually a, a fun trick for Twitter. It's if you go to Digital Marketing Masters Podcast on Twitter, we have an account that only has one tweet in it and it tells you to go follow us on another platform. Nailed it. And it just has a link to it. Yeah. <laughs> but that way that's nobody amazing. else can take your name.
0: Yeah. And you that's still a good get one. the
3: backlink for your website hmm. So yeah, it's a good Twitter trick. So hey on, before we finish it up, since it is 2020, and it's basically the start of 2020. Do you have any like personal goal or anything for this year for your business that you wouldn't mind sharing?
0: Yeah, I have a lot of goals. I'm kind of an overachiever. But um, I think I'm, I'm actually working on launching a real estate virtual assistant training course. So that that's a goal for me for this year, a business goal, at least. And a personal and kind of business goal is that I'm going to try and do a maximum of 200 hours of work a month. No more.
3: 200 is a good number. Someday I hope to get down to 200. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm working on it. I'm, I'm right there with you.
3: Except I did the same thing probably as you did. I, I looked at it and said, what are all the things I want to achieve and wrote them all down and then said, I don't think there's that much time. <laughs>
2: the so year. there is, there is that much time. And, and if you look at it in an overarching mm-hmm. like top-down look, you can probably break those 200 down to 5 to 10 large-scale goals. If, if I complete all of these 20 things, then that would make this that goal. So maybe try that, because that's what I'm working on right now. My list was extremely long, and now I take a look at it, and I'm like, well, I can knock this under this subcategory and just kind of figure out those real 5 to 10 things that I want to accomplish
0: yeah that's right that's that's kind of actually what i did and i set that up in my my project management tool it's all set up for 2020 so i'm uh i'm very excited to see what the year brings
3: well and you can use smart goals
0: yes i I love smart goals
3: specific measurable achievable relevant and trackable or some people say time-based but you're gonna do this specific thing in this period of time, it's something that you can actually do. It's relevant to your business and you can measure what success is. That's a smart goal.
0: Yeah. I love then smart
3: you goals. Break it down into smaller SMART goals, generally called milestones.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And then take it from there.
0: That's right. That's exactly what I do. So that's I mean, I'm biased because I do it, but I think it's a good system.
2: That's right, folks. Right. That's how you get shit done. Get shit <laughs> done by being smart. All right. So, Ali, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to be here with us.
0: Yeah. Thank you guys very much.
2: And I look forward to seeing how your 2020 goes. The year of vision. Matt might actually start wearing his glasses on a daily <laughs> basis. That's right. I
3: wear them at the computer, and, but I forgot them today. Mm-hmm. Likely excuse. <laughs> <laughs> I've reading glasses, too. So it's like I got swap glasses all the time.
0: You need to have one of those chains that just sits around your neck and you have two different pairs of glasses. So they're he always a
2: grandpa ready. chain.
3: Yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah
2: absolutely so when i was a kid like put together with a magnet
3: when i was a kid my parents said don't sit too close to the tv right because you're going to ruin your eyesight
2: and they were right because 46 years later i had to get glasses (laughs) (laughs) i was the opposite i i'm supposed to have been in glasses since like fourth or fifth grade because of migraines and stuff and then i stopped wearing them and i continued to get migraines for some reason bizarre and then i got glasses in my twenties when my wife was like, no, you need to get this changed. And I haven't taken them off since. And my headache count has dropped drastically. So just saying, <laughs> wear your glasses folks. So, all okay. right. Anyway, now that we sidetracked, let me sidetrack a little more. Cause I just okay. heard an interesting story about glasses.
3: That's, that's kind of relevant to marketing and stuff anyway. So I was listening to Seth Godin's did like a keynote speech for Africa development for the UN. I believe it was for anyways, Part of the story was a place they found a way to make reading glasses for basically they can they can make them and ship them and everything for two dollars. So what they do is they sell them for three dollars because that gives them enough money to make more glasses. And the idea is that if you are a person and you get into your 40s and 50s in India and you can't read or you can't weave or you can't do whatever it is that you do to make money in kind of these small villages and stuff anymore. You basically have to be supported by your family for the rest of your life because you can't work. So what they would do is they would put people, they would have these glasses, they'd have like 10 pairs of glasses out on a table and they'd have like a little reading chart. And the people in the town would line up and they come up and you could see that they've got money because they just have like, you know, their work shirt on or whatever with like a few bucks in their pocket kind of thing. And they would come up and they would read the chart and they wouldn't be able to read it. So they know they need the glasses. and They can look at the glasses and they've got enough money to buy them. But 60% of people wouldn't buy the glasses and they couldn't figure it out. They're like, well, why won't people buy the glasses? They need the glasses. They need it to work. They have the money. What's the problem, right? So what Seth Godin did is he changed the process. And so when someone came up to the table, they would read the chart and he would hand them one pair of glasses. He took all the glasses off. He would just give them one pair of glasses give them a pair of glasses. Now read the chart. They would read it and they would be like, can you read it now? And they'd be like, oh yeah, I can read it now. And they'd be like, well, you have two options now. Either you give us $3 or you give us back the glasses. And that changed it to where more than 90% of people bought the glasses. Wow. Yeah. by changing the, the perceived value of the glasses, They were able to get people, get the glasses that they need, and then they could go back to work and support their families and not have their be a burden to their families. And and, you know, all the great
2: things that come along with being able to see. Right. Right. (laughs) So. So is that changing the perceived value or showing them that it works and then saying, hey, if you want to keep working, it's three bucks.
3: Well, they would they would let people use the glasses to see that they worked and then they'd be like, which pair do you want out of these like 10 pairs of glasses? Right. And the problem was that I guess when. You don't have a whole lot of money in extremely poor places. You don't get a second chance. Like When you shop and you spend money on something, it's like, do I want glasses or I'm not going to be able to eat as much for the next two or three days if I buy a pair of glasses? And if you get glasses and they don't help you in the future, then you're just out of luck. So they kind of had to give people the option where... Like I have ownership of this because I'm wearing it. So now I either need to pay for it or I need to give up this thing that I already have. And there's an interesting study kind of related to real estate that's that's kind of along similar lines where if people were looking at pictures of houses that they were looking for that potentially looking to buy, if they showed people the same pictures of houses on a computer or on paper versus on their cell phone, They would say that the ones that they saw on their cell phone were worth more money. And it's something about holding it in your hand and having that kind of ownership of it that makes people think it's more valuable. Interesting. But also, this has nothing to do with administration
0: (laughs) or virtual (laughs) (laughs) assistants.
2: But anyway. But my mind is blown. But see, that's also a thing too, is is people don't understand what all a VA can do for them until you've actually talked to or used a VA. Because you hear VA and you think immediately off the top of your head, you're like, Oh, they can answer my emails and maybe take a couple of phone calls. Yeah. That's I want somebody that's to it, right? Answer my email. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it for you. Give me ten minutes. I can I can answer every email you've got. Your control A, control D. Yep. Don't um, don't do but, that by the way, people. No, but that's, that's one of those things, right? Is you go back into it and you look and you actually talk to these people and see what they can do. And then you ask, Hey, can you do this? This is the biggest challenge I have. Can you do it? And then somebody like Ali says, yeah, of course I can. No problem. Even if she doesn't know, she can still figure it out. That's right? right.
0: That's, that's right. And <laughs> a lot of the times when people ask me to do obscure things, I'm like, yeah, I can do that for sure. Of course I can. And I think Confidence.
2: I figured out how to go. Like I could Google that for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. YouTube. Thank you very much. Yeah. YouTube certified. But when it's on a pr- more professional and you're dealing with, you know, people's books or you're dealing with people's business and livelihood, you take it more seriously than that, right? Oh, you say yes, of course. You're a yes man to a certain extent, right? But there has to be a line where you say, you know what, I can't quite do that but I know someone who can. And it sounds like you're already doing that to an extent with your assistant and the people that you've hired and that you work with. And I think that's great. And I think that people in general or business owners in general need to take that step and realize where they're wasting time or money. Because let's say that your time as a real estate agent, while you're out there actually, you know, shaking babies and kissing hands, that you're making $200, $250 an hour while you're doing this because once you actually complete that transaction, that's a pretty big chunk of change, right? But if it takes you two and a half hours to fill out one form or to you know, make sure that one one piece of the puzzle is put together where it can take a VA 15, 20 minutes because that's what you geek out on. You're paying, you already said it, your shop rate's between $25 and $45 an hour usually for a VA, That 25 is a lot less than 250. So have them do it. Have them do things four times faster than you because it's something that they geek out on, they like. And, you know, go out and shake more babies. Especially if you're in a market. Literally shake babies, please. If you're in a
3: market like some of the larger cities and stuff in the United States or Canada, like, you know, Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal kind of place where the home values are half a million or more. These are $10,000, $30,000 transactions, right, in commission. And the administrative tasks that you have an admin doing for you is also a write-off on your income. So exactly. you're not getting taxed on it. So if your effective tax rate is 35%, 40%, because you're making quite a bit of money, right, on these larger transactions, if your effective tax rate was, say, 30%, then you're only paying... 70% of the salary of the admin in reality because you're losing that percentage that you would have paid in tax on the income that you would have had if you didn't make the deduction. I know it's confusing, but if your admin costs you 30 bucks an hour and your effective tax rate is 30%, you're actually only paying about 20 bucks an hour in the end because you would have had to pay tax on that money had you not hired them. Make sense? So it's even cheaper to get an admin to do
2: a task than the cost that you're paying them. Bam. And on that note, thank you again, Allie, for being here.
0: <laughs> thank you guys.
2: And we'll talk to you guys next, on the next
1: episode. All right. See you this soon. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt Rouse and Jeremy Markov. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Now stay tuned for a preview of our next episode of Digital Marketing Masters. Join us next week as we talk with
2: Sarah Zwicker from Hill Hub about nonprofit co-working spaces.